Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Aaron Young, author of the new novel, The Fields. And Aaron has published best-selling historical novels under the name Robin Young. Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> Hello. Sure. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your new novel, The Fields, how would you describe the novel? Um, well, it's a crime thriller, um, definitely a, a police procedural, but it does have um, a few little sort of kinks in it that make it a little bit different. Um, my One of my agents describes it as more of a sort of techno thriller um, in a way. And do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write The Fields? Yeah, it was about, it was pretty much five years ago to the day, um, actually, that I had the idea. Um, I was reading an article in a British newspaper, um, which was talking about the sort of power of big agriculture um, and some of the sort of issues around that and around over farming specifically. Um, and it was actually quite, it sounds a bit boring, but it was actually quite an unsettling um, article. And I just had this sort of lightning bolt kind of what if moment. Um, and that's really when when the novel was born. Um, but it took a lot longer um, than that to actually get it to this point. Well, it, if someone listening isn't aware, the book is set in Iowa. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about the research process, given that um, uh, I'm assuming that you're British um, oh, yeah. in, in, uh, in researching the novel that's set in Iowa, The Fields. Yeah, um, I'm, as you can probably tell, I'm not from around there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was, I mean, given the sort of nature of the initial idea, it, I knew it had to be somewhere with very strong um, agricultural links um, and where that really formed, you know, a huge part of the landscape and the culture. Um, and the first thing I did um, when I had the idea and, and kind of thought this, this could make a good novel um, was to look up specifically where is the world's biggest um, corn growing area. Um, and the biggest corn grower is America. And then in America, Iowa um, comes out on top. So, you know, I had I had the idea, I got the right location. Um, but, you know, having never been there, um, and really knowing very little about it when I started on this journey, <laughs> um, I thought I'd better go out there. So, um, so I did, I spent a couple of weeks in Iowa, kind of traveling across the state, really. Um, in the summer of 2018, which is really when I started to kind of get to grips with what this novel was going to be and the characters and the flavor of it. And I'm curious, did you have any Iowans read the the novel before it was published? Um, only in recent months. So, you know, kind of gone through most of the publication process. We've had, um, in fact, my um, marketing person at Flatiron, um, who's publishing in the States, 
another another Erin actually um she is from Iowa um and so it was really good to get her sort of take on it um and um a couple of other people have cropped up recently in the sort of early reviews and have been um kind of surprised actually <laughs> that I'm not from there so I I hope I think um I've done as, as solid a job as I as I can of getting it right <laughs> It, it sounds like you you probably did. So I'm curious what what was that process like for you? Did did it kind of um, did it present any specific um, issues or problems writing um, an entire novel that's set in Iowa that you had not visited before your two week trip? Um, I mean, in in a sense, occasionally, yeah, there were definitely challenges to overcome with that. Um, but I think really having been writing historical novels since well um well I was first published in 2006 um mm-hmm. but you know I, my first novel was you know pretty much seven years in the in the making for me so you know I, I'm terrible at maths but there's quite a long time writing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> historical fiction um and you know I really learned over the years writing that to um really get to grips with the world that I'm writing about. Cause often I was writing about cultures and people and places and ideas and, you know, all kinds of things that were completely alien to me really. Um, and so I think that really stood me in quite good stead as understanding just how deep down into the ground, if you like, um, of this place and the people that live there and the landscape um, you know, all the way down to the working out what trees and plants grow there and, you know, what people eat and what they do on a Saturday night. And it's it's really important in a historical novel to get all of that right. And so I felt, you know, even more so actually to get it right in this novel because, you know, it's it's contemporary and, and people really do live there. Um, and I've kept a lot of the, you know, I've changed a lot of the businesses and things and invented some things, but, you know, the places are real um, that I've that I've set the novel in. Um, so it was, yeah, it was really important to me to get as much right as I could. That's great. So what is it about your protagonist, Riley Fisher in the novel, the field that appeals to you? Um, well, she, surprisingly, she's the first female, um, protagonist I've ever had. Um, I've always written from a male perspective. Um, so that was kind of interesting for me um, and a new sort of voice and a new kind of challenge, even though I'm a woman myself, you would think that might be easier, but I don't know, in some ways, maybe it wasn't, um, you know, and she's got sort of contemporary preoccupations that, you know, myself and a lot of my female friends of, of my age and, and not too far from Riley's age are. Um, and so in a way, she's more familiar to me. Um, but in another way, I suppose in, in some senses, that's a little bit more exposing, maybe. Um, I I mean, I like the way that she is kind of this buttoned up woman um, who doesn't, for various reasons, m- much of which come from her past, she doesn't really let people get that close to her. Um, but slowly over the course of the novel, you sort of see the kind of cracks starting to show and you see how vulnerable she is, but also in that there is strength, um, which 
um, I hope is is coming across as well. So it's it's sort of starting out as this is very sort of buttoned up kind of straight laced woman, and you you slowly start to see um, the past that she's lived kind of come through in those cracks. Sure, and I'm curious: are you planning more novels featuring Riley? I am. I'm actually in the middle of um, a second novel at the moment, which um, is due out is well due due to be delivered in a couple of months' time. So I'm kind of right in the heart of that at the moment. Um, I think the plan would be to publish that next year. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm quite excited uh, that I've been given the opportunity to carry on with her. That's great. And will that one be set in Iowa as well? It is. It's in a slightly different um, place. It's actually going to be more set in Des Moines, um, so in the capital city. Um, and this time in, in the fields, it's summer. So it's very stifling. It's um, very humid, lots mm-hmm. of kind of chatter of bugs and birds, and um, which is very much what it was like when I was out there. Um, but this one is in the depths of winter. So it's a very, very different atmosphere. Well, earlier you mentioned your first novel, I think you said was a seven-year kind of journey and project. What was your writing journey that led you to writing and getting your first novel published? Um, yeah, so it it was a long one. Um, I had written, I mean, I've, I've always written really since I can remember. Um, my dad taught me to read when I was three, so books and stories were a really prominent part of my childhood and was something that not only did I enjoy losing myself in, but it, you know, it was the one thing I was good at at school was writing and storytelling. So, um, and and I was also lucky enough to have a really good teacher who kind of brought that out of me and gave me a lot more confidence. So I was sort of writing um, poetry and short stories through my teens. And I kind of thought at some point I'd end up being a journalist, um, but that, um, that didn't happen. Um, and I wrote two novels, fantasy novels, huge. I mean, one was <laughs> 350,000 words long. Wow. I know. Um, I was I was in a full-time job as well. So I was writing in my lunch breaks and, you know, after work. Um, and it was just that sort of kind of, I guess, outpouring. But it really, you know, there was a lot of bad stuff <laughs> that needed to come out before I could get anywhere near actually writing something half decent. Um, so yeah, the two fantasy novels went on the shelf. Um, I did a, um, evening class in creative writing at my local university here. Um, and that's around the time that I had the idea, um, for my first novel, Brethren, um, which is set during the Crusades, um, and follows the Knights Templar. Um, and that was actually before Dan Brown had the Da Vinci Code out. And <laughs> it, I, I kind of thought I was telling this completely undiscovered story and that nobody knew anything about it. Um, and then the Da Vinci Code came out about a year, um, I think, before I was um, then sending it to agents and publishers. Um, but that actually, I mean, you know, by the time I'd finished it, it kind of that subject it sort of hit the zeitgeist. So it wasn't a bad um, bit of timing. Um but no, it took um, it took that course and then a master's degree in creative writing where I kind of kept on at that novel um, and really kind of kicked it into shape. Um, I've got probably 13 drafts of it on my computer. So it's uh, it was definitely a long labor. Um, 
And while I was on the master's degree, I met um, my agent, um, who became my agent for quite a quite a long time. Um, and we sent off to publishers. We got 12 rejections, but we got three letters um, back saying, basically, we, we like what's here. It just needs more editing. Um, and so I quit my teaching job at the time um, and rewrote it again, <laughs> probably the 13th <laughs> time, I think. Um, and, um, and we got a deal. In fact, it went into a, an auction between two publishing houses the following year. So it was, you know, it was a long a long time coming, but um, it, yeah, it paid off in the end. <laughs> That's great. I'm curious, what was your writing process when you were working on the fields? You you talked about reading this article and, and learning about uh, big agriculture. Did you end up, um, are you an outliner? Did you plan the novel extensively before you started writing or did you just dive into the narrative? What's your process? Oh, I'm I'm a huge outliner. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got a lot of um, novelist friends and that I've made over the years, and you know we often compare our processes. And I, I'm probably at the, you know, like the the red end of the scale in terms of plotting. I'm I'm right there. The needle is is on the line. Um, I I I don't feel confident enough. Um, if I don't know where the story is going and the beginning and the middle and the end, I just need to know before I start. Um, the only time I ever tried it differently. And I, you know, I think sometimes after writing for this long, it's good to try something new. Um, mm-hmm. but, but I did, uh, with my, uh, the, the last historical novel I wrote before, um, I wrote the fields. Um, and I tried, tried to just go for it and see what happened. I mean, I, I had an idea of, the characters and and where it was going to be set and and some of the big themes, but um, basically all my characters um, ended up in a tavern in the south of France and they kind of stayed there for I don't know about forty thousand words and and I was just deadly bored <laughs> by that I just didn't know where to take them so I had to pretty much cut everything that I'd written go back to the drawing board and then and then do the plot which you know for me when I when I plot, they tend to be anywhere between sort of 20 and 50,000 words long themselves. So not that far off a novel. But what I tend to do is sort of sketch it all out, get all of my research down, get all the details, do little kind of character biographies and that kind of thing, which, you know, they're never set in stone. I mean, most of the time it's never, it's never exactly like I planned it because the characters go off and kind of do their own thing, which is what you want them to do. Um, but, um, but yeah, I just, just knowing, um, that I have a map, um, I feel a lot more settled. Um, and I, I tend to just do a lot of free writing in those early stages, which is kind of unlike how I actually write, which is for me just a very painstaking process. I, I hate having, um, sort of kind of crappy sort of chapters behind me. I like it to be as polished as it can be all the way through. So I'm constantly going back over what I've written and editing and rereading and changing. So usually by the end of the process, it is a fairly polished novel, which of course will then be ripped apart by my editors. <laughs> but um, It feels kind of polished to me at that point, which is, you know, I, I just wouldn't want to send it to anyone in in any other state. But 
you know, I've got, as I said, I've got a lot of novelist friends and, and, you know, some of them would be appalled by that. And, you know, they just want to start at page one and just get through it. And and sometimes some of them even start somewhere in the middle at a random scene and then go back. And I, I have no idea how they managed to do that without going insane. That would just not work for me at all. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sure. Well, you mentioned these two kind of gigantic fantasy novels that you said Mm -hmm. you put on the shelf as you moved on to historical novels. Have you ever thought about going back and seeing if you could resuscitate those fantasy novels? Um, I I think in the past I did, um, but um, I mean, they would just take so much work, really. <laughs> I mean, just so much work. Um, although thinking about it, if it's a 350,000 word one at the start, then, you know, maybe there's like four novels there or something. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think I'm, I, you know, I, I'm good with the historical novels and, and I'm really excited about writing these new ones. That's great. Well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories or novels? Um, goodness, I I always feel like um, there's sort of so much to say, but at the same time, it's such a personal thing. Um, I think the one thing that really helped me and really moved me along in my own writing journey and, and made me a better writer gradually um, was sharing it with other writers. Um, I think for me, that was really um, the key part of um, the master's degree was was we had this small group of, I think there was 10 of us, um, all wanting to be, you know, professional writers, all very serious about it, all writing completely different things. Um, and we basically spent our days tearing each other's novels apart or our poems <laughs> apart or our plays apart. I mean, actually in a very constructive way, but sure. there was, you know, there was no fear of actually saying, you know, that that's not good or that's not right. And actually in doing that, in editing other people's work, we really learned to edit our own, you know, we'd have our own voices in our minds then when we were writing kind of having pulled other people up on doing, you know, so, something so cliched earlier that day or whatever. Um, so I think probably for me, the editing um, was something that I learned very early on that, you know, your what you think is your final draft is, is really not, um, you know, if you want to do something with it, if you want to put it out there. Um, and particularly if you want to go down the traditional routes of publishing and through agents and publishers, you know, it, it's, 
I mean, in some ways, we're kind of protecting ourselves in not knowing just, you know, what a tough kind of process that is and how many edits you might have to get through. Um, but at the same time, I think it's worth knowing um, and kind of being a bit realistic about that. And also, um, you know, I've had friends in the past who have sent um, things off to agents and they've got um, letters back basically saying, you know, re- really liked your character or really liked your idea, but, you know, it really does need some more work. Um, you know, here's some ideas. And they've kind of come to me and said, well, th- well, that's a rejection, isn't it? And it's kind of like, well, actually, no, if an agent <laughs> really is, you know, writing to you and, and kind of suggesting some things, then if you can sort of see what they're saying and you agree with them, um, and I would always say take a couple of days or even a couple of weeks just to sort of sit there because, you know, your initial reaction is, oh, my God, no, I I don't agree at all. And then it's sort of um, you go back and you think, ah, yeah, actually. I I kind of think a, a good agent and a good editor is someone who kind of just comes into the room, just steps into the room and just turns the light on for you. And there you are sort of scrabbling about in the dark and then suddenly you can see (laughs) <laughs> the kind of mess that you've made in there and you can start putting things in their proper places. So I, I just think they're kind of light bulbs for me, agents and editors. And and if you get a good one and if you get any feedback, then for me, you know, jump on it and seize it and, and do something about it. That's what I'd say. That's great. Well, what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Oh, goodness. Um, I'm reading quite a lot at the moment, but I think where I'm also writing most days they they sort of go into my head and then go straight out again and then I I forget um what I've just read um let me think uh so um I I still read quite a bit of historical fiction but I really do like um kind of crime thrillers of historical Mm -hmm. fiction um I read uh Daughters of Night by Laura Shepard Robinson who's a British author um set in Georgian England which is just it's got all of this kind of lovely evocative um kind of detail on the page so you can sort of smell (laughs) Georgian London which you know really isn't that nice most of the time (laughs) um but it's it's beautifully written um and um we begin at the end um which is by another British author um I think it's um Christopher Whitaker or Chris Whitaker. Um, I think that might have come out there last year. I, th- I thought that was um, a wonderful um, telling of a, of a kind of police procedural, but really quite different. Um, and yeah, and I, I kind of dive in and out of TV as well. I, I, I think um, with streaming being so different these days, I, I think a lot of writers kind of, there's a sort of, you know, we talk amongst ourselves and there's a sort of, guilty feeling about oh god we're watching so much netflix <laughs> or whatever and not doing lots of reading but i think these days with those sorts of shows there's so much in the plotting and the writing that also is is incredibly useful um as a reminder um of, of what of what works and and sometimes what doesn't as a writer sure well where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your new novel the fields so I have a website, um, which is erinyoungauthor.com. Um, and then I'm on Twitter as well at, um, it's at Erin Young Author. Um, 
so I'm on Facebook as well, but for some reason they won't let me change my name. So I'm there as Robin Young <laughs> author. So that's great. <laughs> confusing people everywhere. Sure. Well, again, we've been speaking with Erin Young, author of the new crime novel, The Fields. She also writes best-selling historical novels under the name Robin Young. The Fields is on sale now, so go buy a copy at your local independent bookstore. And Erin, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Now, stay tuned from a brief excerpt of the audiobook of The Fields by Aaron Young, narrated by Sonila Nankani, available from Macmillan Audio, wherever audiobooks are sold. She ran without thinking, without direction, desperation driving her deep into the fields. The endless rows of corn were an oppressive labyrinth, Ripe heads bowing above her, snagging her hair. Blades whipped her palms as she thrashed through the towering stalks, not looking back. She stumbled on rutted ground, dry soil crumbling beneath her feet. Her sneaker, shucked half off her heel, slipped from her foot. She let it go, the earth spiking through her sock. Blood thrummed in her ears. The night was clotted with clouds the darkness pressing. She could feel the pollen erupting around her, gritting her eyes. Her mother's voice sing-songed in her mind. Don't forget your meds, sweetheart. A sob burst between her breaths. Her lungs were burning. The thrumming in her ears was louder. Something out there, coming closer. She felt a fresh stab of terror as light smeared the shadows, the knotted canopy shimmering green above her. She threw herself down, curling around the brace roots, eyes squeezed shut. The drones circled overhead, whining like a dentist's drill. Her eyelids were rinsed with a pallid glow. Slowly, it passed, strobing the fields. Was that a shout she'd heard beneath its fading hum? Low growl of an engine in the distance? She curled herself tighter into stillness, at one with the roots and the soil. A mouse hiding from a hawk. As her breath slowed, the pain, kept at bay by adrenaline, came on. There were points of it across her body. The back of her skull struck so hard her vision had exploded with light, Two fingers of her left hand where she'd fallen, bending back with a nauseating snap. Her thigh, where the flimsy cotton of her clothes had been ripped open. But worst of all was her neck, where the pain was concentrating in a burning pool. She went to touch her throat, but flinched when her fingers slid into something slick and pulpy. Her t-shirt was soaked. She had thought it was sweat the night air so close she could barely breathe. But she could smell the blood now. Warm metal, iron and rust. Sparks of memory. A tumble from her bike, knees split open on blistering asphalt. Her uncle's slaughterhouse in Fayette. Squeals of half-stunned hogs and arcing blades. Red beads on her palm, welling at the razor's sting. Hot press of another hand to hers. 
Her whole body was shaking, teeth chattering. She knew she should get up, but her limbs were leaden. Her breath quickened. The darkness swayed in front of her, a murmur of wind to shiver the corn. There was laughter in her mind. The fields, waist high with spring crops, rippled before her as she ran. He was behind her, coming up fast. The delicious shock of his arms catching around her waist, her laugh ending in a shriek as she was lifted into the air. His lips on hers, salt sweat and corn dust, desire striking a bell inside her. James. Thank you for listening to this clip provided to you by Macmillan Audio. To hear more, look for this title wherever audiobooks are sold. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.